What is going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of 20 Minute Fitness. I hope you're all having an awesome day today. We have another one of our co-hosted episodes today and it's a really, really interesting conversation. We have Chris Helwick, the born again athlete, talking to us today. And in this interview, we talk about Chris's past experience as a decathlon athlete, how he fell out of love or, or with the decathlon just after the Olympic trials in 2012 and how he managed to find that love again after taking some time to reflect and some time to pursue other endeavors. We also discuss what the diet's like for a a top level athlete. We talk about issues with really focusing purely on an end goal rather than the journey and the process can be rectified and how it affects a number of different athletes as well. But before we get into this conversation, a massive thank you to our sponsor Shape. Shape are building Shape Scale. It's a 3D body scanning scale that you step on and a robotic arm that spins all around your body body, capturing all sorts of body data. And then via the Shape app, you'll be able to see a photorealistic 3D avatar of your body. So you'll be able to see it from all different angles, see where you're making progress, which you previously couldn't see before. And you'll also be able to get the data, body fat percentages, the lean muscle mass, the muscle girth measurements. So it really does make ShapeScale a truly comprehensive fitness tracker, giving you both the ability to visualize your progress and also see the data. So definitely check it out while it's still on pre-order at shapescale.com. But now let's get into the conversation conversation with a born again athlete. So Chris, once again, thank you very much for taking up the time to speak to us today. Really looking forward to this conversation. So if you could start off really by telling us a bit about yourself and your background, that'd be really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really in my second career as a track and field athlete. I started doing track when I was very young, really at the age of nine. I got involved in kind of just summertime recreational track. I I was an athletic kid growing up, played soccer as well. But I I continued my track and field career, you know, in, in some capacity, really from the age of nine to the age of 27. It was it was a long run. Uh, during that time, especially the, the latter half of it, I got involved in decathlons. That's that's what I do. I'm a decathlete. And I, I ended up, you know, progressing up the ranks uh, until I got to the elite level at the, at the very end of my career. Um, I didn't quite ever make it to the world championships or the Olympic Games, but I was I was very close a couple times. And I just I really took it as far as I could. And so at the age of 27, I, I was I was ready to move on from track and field. I was ready to retire. I was ready to try something else. Um, and so I did retire thinking that I would never be back to the sport of track and field again. I would never compete in decathlons again. That was really the end of the road for me. But funny enough, about five or six years later, after a whole lot of reflecting on my experience as an athlete, sort of getting back in touch with my innate love of athletics, which I, I felt that I... I sort of lost in my my last few years as an athlete, um, I, I decided that I wasn't quite done with the decathlon or my career as an athlete, and I needed to come back. And so at the at the age of 33, I, I came out of retirement to give really the Olympic decathlon one more shot. I, I'd been to the Olympic trials in the U.S. twice before. I'd come very close in my last attempt, and I I decided that um, I, I was just a, a whole different person. I was a, I was I looked at the sport differently. I appreciated it differently. I had matured as an athlete in terms of how I trained. And so I've, I've decided that for, for one last go, I'm going to, um, you know, amass all this, this wisdom and perspective that I've gained over the last few years and give the, the Olympic decathlon one more go in 2020. 
how intensive was your training? Um, I'd be really interested to know what your training schedule was like when you were training for that 2012 Olympic trial. And just to, to really put it into perspective for the listeners, how much time was being absorbed by athletics. And then we can really move on to just discussing there's some other elements there I wanted to, uh, to touch on. Like, obviously, there's parallels that I see between the mental approach that must be required to be a top-level athlete and also having to start your own business with the, the amount of focus that must go into that. Yeah, so training for the 2012 Olympics, my my training schedule was more or less like four to five hours a day, a, sing, a single block of training. And that, that included you know getting to the track, warming up, doing some skill work in, in terms of working on the technical elements of, of events, as well as some sort of workout on the track, whether it's running intervals or you know pulling sleds throwing med balls things like that and and of course weightlifting was a big component of that mm -hmm. so it, it was yeah it was four to five hours at the track each day and you know after that it's it's really not just it just ends and you you totally put it away until the next day you, you might go home and you might watch some film of yourself or watch yeah. some film of somebody else i was living with training partners during that time so it it often seemed like our conversation was often on our training yeah, or definitely. our aspirations or things like that you know it was as you mentioned it was it was all consuming but um, certainly in, in terms of focused dedicated training um, it was it was a big chunk do you think that this is just a side note again obviously living with training partners again does feel like you're still almost well, you're not really escaping that athletics world do you think it might have been beneficial if you reflect on it now to have you know i don't know lived by yourself or lived with friend who is outside of that world of athletics? I, yes i i do that's um I, I think that's a really good question and i don't hesitate in my answer i i do think that it, it would have been beneficial especially for me to have lived with somebody outside of the world of athletics or lived alone, which probably would have suited me well. It's it's just a whole lot of time with somebody. Um, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to live with anybody for a majority of your, your day or, or your life. You know, it's, it's a challenge regardless of who it is and how much you like them. And when it comes with training partners, yeah, I, I just think that some space can be really beneficial for that relationship. I can see the same from a different point of view in the fact that I, at the moment, um, living with my business partner in the UK and there's obviously at times where it's just nice to have some time apart from each other and uh, really that's the only time you feel like you have actually fully shut off from your business or your sport or whatever. Yeah, it may yeah. Be. and it's it's so important to, to put these things away for, for some period of time in our life. And, you know, it's, it's a lot like sleeping. You know, we, we turn off and we reset and it's like putting it away, not thinking about something for a while somehow organizes our thoughts around it. And we can actually think more clearly uh, about our our biggest questions when we've when we've had time to um, not ponder them, ironically. Precisely. Mm hmm. Definitely. So obviously training four to five hours a day, you're going to have to fuel up massively. Nutrition's a massive part of being an athlete. What would your, your diet look like during these intensive training days? And, and even on rest days, how would it sort of fluctuate from rest days to, to training days? Well, I, you know, I'll tell you this, um, part of what I, I feel like makes me a better athlete today than I was six, seven years ago is, is my diet. I, I don't think that I ever ate poorly, but I just didn't have as much information and knowledge as I do now. I was much more concerned yeah. about getting enough food when I was training before in my earlier career, which, which I think was, was a, a decent way to figure out your diet because you're right. You need an incredible amount of calories to 
to train four or five hours a day and be a decathlete or, or you know, really any elite level athlete. But I, I will tell you now I'm, I'm very conscientious of my diet. Um, it includes uh, a lot of vegetables. I, I've been a proponent of vegetables for a long time. I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. I eat a fair amount of wild caught fish, uh, salmon, tuna, um, sardines, mahi-mahi, that sort of thing. And uh, I eat a little bit of chicken as, as well. But generally, I, I steer clear of, of beef and pork. But the reason for that really is that I, I try to steer clear of foods that are prone to cause like chronic inflammation. So I also steer clear of processed mm -hmm. carbohydrates and sugar and actually coffee as well. That's that's uh, that is very particular to me. There there are people who do really well on coffee and even large amounts of it. But I'm just I'm just really sensitive to caffeine. So I, I stick with green tea. Yeah. Is the, is the diuretic aspect of caffeine uh, obviously yeah, quite important to you as well? Just that you need so much more. I mean, you need to stay hydrated when you're when you're drinking. A lot yeah, of caffeine. you're absolutely right. I, I think yeah, it's like when I have a cup of coffee, I got to make sure to drink like three glasses of water afterwards. I I yeah. can really. I mean, there's so much that I could say about the things I eat and the things that I put in my body. But you know, I I mean, to really hit the high notes, it's like I I got to be eating a lot. It's um yeah, can't always wait till you're you're just hungry or peckish to, to eat something, you got to be, I mean, I'm, I'm very regimented about it. I sort of eat the same thing for breakfast every day and similar for lunch and a pretty wide variety for dinner. But you know, it's sort of an element of training all of its own. And I, I think it's very important. That's what, yeah, that's what we say, obviously. I mean, I'm, I do a lot of like weight training as well. And it's people say, isn't it? It's like an hour, obviously, when you're actually training, if you're just doing a gym session uh, once a day, but it's obviously the 23 other hours of sleep and nutrition that are so integral as well. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. And that's that, you know, that's another contrast that I draw between my current self and my former self is just that I, I have such an appreciation for rest now. I mean, I, I certainly consider myself a better athlete today than I was before. However, it's not to say it's on every metric. Um, I, I can't handle the same amount of volume that I did before. I, I need a little bit more rest than I did before. And, and that just makes me appreciate, you know, full nights of sleep, taking it easy during my breaks between training sessions, uh, recovering properly. I mean, the, the, the rest and recovery component is enormous. And I, I just don't think that I really appreciated it fully when I was training as a younger athlete. It is interesting you say that because we were recently filming sort of um, a documentary series with Hull FC, which is a rugby league team in the UK. And we went to their very first day of pre-season for the upcoming season. And one of the players there had been retired for two years. He's just come back into it. And obviously, it's a high impact sport. He's 36 years old. And it was really interesting to see that he, we, we were interviewing him. So we had to hang around until the end of the day to grab an interview with him. And he would stretch and yeah, do all his stretches for at least, it was another 15 minutes or so than all of the younger players that were coming up through the system. So of the boys were 18 some of them were up to 25 but gareth being 36 he just started to realize that his body needs that bit extra just looking after now mm. yeah that, that is amazing uh, that's, that's another thing i feel like people catch on to a little bit later is the importance of stretching and mobility flexibility Definitely. And I can imagine in your, well, in, in being a decathlete, the, the fact that you have to be such a well-rounded athlete with power training, endurance, speed, it's, you really need to make sure that every element of training from like plyometrics to mobility and stretching and everything, as you said, is, is on point really. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, I, I think some, pe some pieces are, are 
more primary. Like they, they definitely all have to be there. But you know, if you're not if you're not able to move through a full range of motion, say in your hips, if you're not able to get triple extension through your hips, through your knees, through your ankle joints, you know, all the plyometrics in the world aren't really going to be able to do a lot for you unless you're able to move well. You know, for me, that's that's just a that's a huge piece. And I and I see you, you talked about the rugby player. I just I just see a lot of older athletes like myself sort of catch on to that notion and and just just give it a little more priority than than they used to. a lot of younger athletes do yes i think it's definitely the case from what we saw just that if, even speaking from my own point of view i know that i don't pay enough attention really to the sort of supplementary parts of my training or the things that i think are supplementary but obviously do have mm-hmm. um, a profound impact yeah, and, on the rest of my performance you know so, something that i'm just kind of reminded of on that subject is like you know we, we talk about doing the small things I, i've been hearing that from coaches and mentors for a long time, you know, you know, well, if you want to be a great athlete, you you know, you really got to take care of the small things. It's like, you know, an athlete can understand that and even, even accept it, but it's not always clear what the small things are. And so it's like, even if, if, if somebody has a desire to go about their training in the right way, they don't want to just be, you know, a meathead doing the big, pretty stuff. And, you know, they, they do really want to take care of the small things, but it's, it's difficult to know what those small things are. There's, there's probably an endless number of small things that you could do, but there's only a certain amount of time that you can devote to them. So it's like, how do you choose a small basket of small things that are most appropriate for you? That's a difficult question. And I, I feel like I can, I continue to ponder it all the time, but I, but I suppose I just feel like that's important to mention because, you know, if somebody was listening and they're like, well, you know, what are the small things? What, what, what specifically should I be doing? Well, there, there is no one single direct answer to that question, but it's more a matter of just going about and trying to find through your own experience, what are some of the more supplementary, the more subtle, the the less entertaining bits of our training that can really set us up for success down the road. Definitely. No, I think it's very, very important that you mentioned that. It's, it's like I was watching the, I'm not sure if you've seen the Game Changers documentary on Netflix sort of made me think of it as well because you said you're a massive proponent of vegetables, potentially staying away from eating too much beef, chicken, and sticking more to fish and yeah, a lot of legumes. And I interviewed a while ago one of the performance coaches mm-hmm. for the Nike documentary Breaking Two. And one of the things that he specialized in was just, uh, and it's brought up again in the Game Changers documentary, is the performance enhancing effects of beetroot. And that was just, you know, a small thing that he's brought up and Game Changers brought up as well that they found to, and data has shown it can have a, a statistically a, a positive effect on performance and that would be you know one of those things you could see whether it works for you or or not Mm -hmm. yeah that is very interesting i i think when i watched game changers that that was like the first time i'd heard about beetroot being a specific performance enhancer yeah, yeah, I know. And I just, yeah, I found it interesting, obviously, that uh, you've almost naturally, again, before chronic inflammation, you said, uh, sort of uh, stayed away from eating too much beef and chicken. But obviously, the amount of people we're hearing now from the media and just um, even first person me hearing from my friends that are actually deciding to limit the amounts of beef and chicken and lamb and those uh, types of meats from the evidence in game changes is quite amazing really just to see the the impact it's had already i i would agree i i feel like the the response 
from that documentary was pretty unbelievable. Like I, I, I was one of the last people in my circle to watch it. Oh, no. And I, I just had so many people coming up to me like, you have to watch this and seemed like they were very readily convinced. I, I have to say due, due to that, the fact that I had all of these like these people who I feel like are very shrewd and, and skeptical people came up to me just like unequivocally, you gotta watch this. It's, you know, it's a game changer basically. I, I went I went in with a fair amount of skepticism yeah. myself and just tried to watch it with, with as objective eyes I could. And yeah, I, you know, I don't want to turn it into a, a review of Game Changers, but you know, I definitely don't disagree with the idea <laughs> that like less meat and dairy is going to um, you know have a have a positive effect on your your health and performance. But I, but I did I, I guess my the lens that I view diet through is more in terms of like what's causing inflammation in my body, what's not, and also what's causing my my blood sugar to oscillate and what's not. Because I, I feel like having a have a, a steady mm-hmm. blood sugar is a really key component of maintaining my energy throughout the day. Yes, definitely. Again, we won't, uh, I'll, move, I'll move off Game Changers very shortly, but it, I just thought it's interesting to say that I haven't listened to it yet, but Joe Rogan, he has a new podcast episode with Chris Cresser and the whole episode is, I think, on debunking the, the Game Changers documentary and obviously sort of um, vying for the other side that meets the importance. So it'll be interesting to see the response that has. And if, you know, just, uh, because obviously you can always pull up a, have a new documentary that only not talks about people who've had success if they've got a meat-based diet or high meat based diet so it's uh it'll be interesting to see the, the response from it yeah that, that will be very interesting i'd, I'd definitely watch that and um and you're right like nutrition is so individualized like there's just there's just no magic bullet in my opinion mm, i know <laughs> unfortunately so i wanted to to go back to what i sort of brought up earlier you started your own business in this um six year off period and obviously this starting your own business as many people will know is it is a complex tiring frustrating process very challenging so did you do you think that being a a top level athlete has almost the the mental preparation you needed almost helped you get ready to start your own business were there parallels between the the mental aspect of both yeah there there really were i felt like there were some some major parallels and that uh, training for something like decathlon like prepared me really well, at least for the sort of work ethic and work intensity that was required to start a business. Because you're absolutely right. It, it, you know, it was no picnic, like ever. I mean, it was, it was long hours for, for little pay punctuated by moments of jubilation, you know, after some little, little breakthrough, but right after that, it's back to work. Yeah, the little wins. Yeah, but I, yeah, you know, I really did, and it was interesting because I, I ran that business for, I, I did it with a partner, but he and I ran it for five years in total before I got out of it, and and he took over the the whole thing. But it was like the first two years for me were the most exciting and the most enjoyable. I. I really enjoyed um, the process of just trying to get something going from scratch. I mean, me, me and me and my friend, me and my business partner, we bootstrapped this thing. So it was it was really from the ground up. There was no major investors, no yeah. frills. It, it was those first two years that were really fun. It was, it was the, the building process. You know, frankly, the uncertainty, the the kind of stress to it. I, I somehow really got off on that. But it was 
it was right around the two, two and a half year mark when revenues started to smooth out, expansions were coming to a close, and, and the future of our business was just looking a lot more certain that I, I actually began to lose interest. I, I, I mean, getting to your initial question, I, I felt like the way that I the way that I trained for the decathlon, which was so long term, I mean, decathlons for, for those who don't know, you compete in three to four of these a year. They're, they're very demanding. So you can't just be doing them every weekend throughout the year. You do three to four during the summertime, which is the track and field season. But you train all year long for these three or four events. And so like having this long-term vision, being able to put in a lot of work every day without necessarily seeing the fruits of that labor, very really looking long-term, that was the parallel that I that I think existed between the way that I trained for decathlon and, and the way that I went about starting a business. It's like you uh, said on your website as well that previously you almost started losing touch with the process and the journey and just started thinking about the, the destination. And so do you think that the problems you experienced thinking about the destination, the end goal, reaching just that's all that mattered. Do you think this is a common problem among athletes? And if so, how do you think it could be rectified? Yeah, I definitely think that it's a common problem. I, I think it's very widespread. And uh, I, I think it's very sad, to be honest with you. I just I, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been around a lot of athletes. And it's not that everyone is entrenched in this 100 percent. But I do, I've just seen over and over and over again, these amazing athletes, no matter what sport or event they do, these incredible athletes who are doing incredible things day in and day out, and they are perpetually disappointed in themselves. And, and I just find that to be so incredibly unfortunate and unnecessary. One, it's that what, what I just described, um, it's these incredible at, gifted athletes who are gifted with talent from the beginning, but then have developed this talent into incredible skills throughout many years of their life. And it's like, at the very least, you should just be enjoying being able to do the things you're able to do day in and day out. I mean, like that enjoyment is available for you every single day. And it's really a choice whether you choose to accept it or not. So so for one, it's just it's, it's very unfortunate. It's very sad to me to, to see so many people passing on that enjoyment when it is available. But secondly, I think it's unfortunate because, as I said, it's it's this enjoyment that is really the powerhouse behind the endeavor. And, and you will see time and time again, the people who show up to the big meets and do really well, they have an excitement about them in, in what they're doing. They're, they're having fun out there. And, I, and I, just, I just feel like that, that sense of pleasure, the intrinsic satisfaction that we get out of something is, is really what allows us to move into those places of greatness. You've got to be able to lose yourself in order to move into those places. Now, what can be done about this? It's, it's a difficult thing because you know throughout the the structure of sports even from the very beginning as as little kids we are explicitly and implicitly encouraged to think about results i mean they are they're a fundamental part of the game we honor winners we celebrate winners there, there's just so much focus and attention from society in general put on winning and, and winners that, that yeah. it's hard it's hard to bring it into a more uh, healthier perspective. It's not that, that winning isn't important. Winning is the point of the game, but you have to realize that the point of the game isn't 
equal to your self-worth. It's merely a, a shared objective between opponents. I really believe that it's got to start from, from a young age with athletes. Uh, I think it's probably it's probably difficult to, to grab an athlete in the prime of their career, say in university or just out and, and be like, hey, you've got to really change your perspective on this and you've got to start enjoying what you're doing in order to be really good at it. I think that's, that's going to be hard. But if there was more sort of like athletic education from a young age, and you know, coaches bought into the idea. It's, that's probably a big part of it is getting um, young coaches to really buy into this idea. But it, you know, if athletes were, were taught at a young age just some of these important lessons and reminded of them throughout their their upbringing, I mean, I, f- I feel like that's really the time to um, ingrain a healthier perspective on athletics and, and and just teach young athletes to to appreciate their athleticism no matter what the outcome of their contest is. I definitely agree with you there that it it does need to start from a young age and it's also I'm not sure exactly what could be done throughout but I definitely can see as you said that winning or progressing or just being at the pinnacle is just uh, obviously a lot of or really consumes an athlete. One of my friends plays professional rugby in the UK and he's only 23 and obviously we, we have in the UK the Premiership Rugby League and the Championship Championship being one below the Premiership and he has been in the Premiership now for going on three years and never quite broken into the premiership and I think that's almost stained his not necessarily his opinion on his ability in himself but it's just made him feel more like it is his job because he's never reached that next stage and so he's now undertaking law school and he thinks he's potentially thinking about a a career change at some stage so I think that wouldn't be the case necessarily if there was something that was reminding him of how much he's actually how much he loves the sport Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what did he get into it in the first place for? Yeah. It's almost like getting back in touch with that childlike mentality. I I would imagine that your friend is in his current position. It's financially sustainable. I mean, he's, he's, he's earning a living doing it. Yeah. I mean, if, if what you're doing is financially viable, which, you know, which is a big part of it, like, you know, that's just how the world works. It's got to ends have to meet, but if it's financially viable and, and you're enjoying it, you feel like you're, you can continue to grow as a person, as an athlete through it. What, what's incredible is like that is the fantasy that so many non-athletes have throughout the world. Like to, to imagine being in your friend's position is just it would be beyond the greatest dream for so many people. And and yet and, and I, I was in a similar position. You know, I was I was a high performing decathlete. I just wasn't where I wanted to be. And it was you know, I was ready to get out of it. I just, I wasn't having fun and I, I wasn't enjoying it. When, when so many people look at that from the outside in and think, God, what an incredible opportunity, like what an incredible gift Chris had to live for, you know, four or five years to train, to be a decathlete, like what a dream that would be. <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate. I, you know, I, I sat there and I was just in perpetual discontent the whole time because I wasn't an Olympian. Yeah, I mean, no one obviously, I I presume at the time you'd have friends who were still, as you said, saying you're living the dream. And obviously you might have been thinking something entirely different throughout. Yeah, right, exactly. And, you know, going back to your other question, it's like, how do you prevent that from happening? How do you how do you how do you transport the outsider's perspective? You know, such an incredible level of appreciation for the opportunity. How How do you plant that into the athlete so that however they're their athletic journey ends, they were grateful for it and really appreciated what there was to appreciate while it was happening. Difficult. (laughs) Difficult indeed, yes. 
I think it's great that you're telling your story. I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a start, isn't it, that you've managed, you, you, I'm sure a lot of athletes will be in your position, but as, even now if they're listening to this, that they're, they're starting to lose touch with it. And you obviously, through your experiences, have managed to, to re-find what it is that makes you fall in love with, with being an athlete. So I think the more people hear stories from athletes like yourself and if you give you know, seminars and even workshops in the future, that, that there's all about the potential that you'll help other people sort of fall back in love with their identity yeah yes i, I hope so so how how is your um training now then you've, you've been through you've come back out you have this new perspective how is your training different or how's it differing from what you're doing in 2012 I, I, I sort of read about that you were you've been talking a lot about there's been imbalances because you've been doing you've been repeating the same movements obviously over and over with the same muscles so there's a lot of imbalances and asymmetry so what are you doing differently to correct these imbalances and how is that going to help you prepare for the next olympic trial that, that really is a big piece. It was another one of the major realizations that I had after I retired, more on the physiological side rather than the psychological side, was just how the repetitive nature of track and field can really wedge your body in, into a very imbalanced state. As a decathlete, I was jumping off the same foot in all of the, all of the jumping events. I was, of course, throwing the shot put, the discus and the javelin with my same arm over and over again and not doing any work to try to balance out the equation from right to left. It, it just never occurred to me, I, I guess. I, I, I don't really know. I was like sort of vaguely aware of some of these imbalances while I was training, but I just didn't have the mind to stop and be like, okay, I've got to do something about this. But once I retired, I realized that I had some really significant imbalances and that going back to what something that I said before, it really limited my range of motion and my mobility and my flexibility. And it was just a big limitation on my ability to to compete and and, and perform. So for one, it, it, it's amazing what just rest can do. The fact that I stopped training every day, I stopped doing so many jumps and so many throws with the same leg and the same arm. And, and, and I started to do just more general exercise that was far easier on the body. That alone had some correcting mechanism to it. But I've also been very specific lately about making sure that I'm I'm maintaining balance in my body. One of the ways that I do that, something simple that I, I recommend to virtually everybody, no matter who they are, or what they do is yoga. I'm not like a, a huge yogi. I'm not incredibly gifted or, or knowledgeable in yoga, but it's something that I, I aim to do twice a week for 20 to 30 minutes. And I just find that like every time I do yoga, I ask myself, like, why aren't I doing more of this? It's, it's just it's just something that I find to be so incredibly beneficial for balance, symmetry and mobility. I, I also do some very specific exercises that are aimed at balancing an athlete's body. So, I mean, yoga is something that, that virtually anybody can do, as I said, no matter what age or ability they're at. But I, I do I do some, uh, some exercises that are specifically geared towards maximizing range of motion and creating balance and symmetry for competing athletes, people who work their bodies really hard. I, I actually use a a system called PowerCore 360. It, it's actually an incredible system that um, basically just 
sort of like elastic bands, you've got hip harnesses, you've got shoulder harnesses, and the idea is to just work your body in the opposite ways that you typically do in your training. So without getting into anything too specific, if, I, if I'm thrown with my right arm over and over again, you know, I, I use the PowerCore 360 system to essentially reset my, my muscles and my nervous system. Because when, when you're throwing with your right arm, you've got some, some muscles that are working to accelerate your arm and you've got other muscles that are working to decelerate it at the end. And this, this system that I use is just meant to flip that on its head. And so you're, you're using the, the muscles in, in the opposite way. And it's, it's just a good way to, to keep yourself in, in balance. That's interesting. So we've, we've heard then, just uh, the point on yoga, we I recently interviewed a San Francisco-based yoga instructor called Nat Kendall, and that really helped me understand, because I've never done yoga myself either, the significant benefits of yoga. And he, he really just sold it to me in the sense that both obviously mentally and physically for the body, making sure it all communicates and activates in the way you want it to, and it's all, uh, as you said, balanced. Mm, that's, that's interesting. Was it, was it a an athletic performance standpoint or just in general? In general, really, just centered really that the whole conversation was centered around physical and mental benefits of yoga, to be honest. Mm, I see. But it was, uh, yeah, it was very, very interesting. I've never had such an in-depth conversation really about the benefits from someone, you know, from a, a personal point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So we've heard that, uh, you know, we've heard the differences in your training for 2020 from a physiological standpoint. How are you preparing mentally for the next trial? And how do you think that your previous experiences, your new perspective on life, and how do you think that's going to, to help you prepare and even potentially have a competitive edge? Yeah, very good question. You know, a few things come to mind here. You know, I, I have to just first start out with, it really takes a daily effort to, to remind yourself to appreciate the experience as it's happening. So just because I had this big epiphany several years ago about how I had gone wrong in my previous career and how I wasn't appreciating it as much as I should have and that what, what an incredible opportunity it is to be, be able to develop and express your athleticism as I do now. It, it doesn't mean that there isn't still a temptation to be desiring these these things of status and, and wanting to be an Olympian. And like when I tell my story, the way that it has to be framed is like, oh, I'm, I'm training to be an Olympian. And of course, that's true. But the whole thing, this, this whole project that I'm doing, it isn't going to be labeled a success or a failure based on whether or not I get into the Olympics. It's really going to be a success or failure based on how I conduct it day in and day out. So I will just say that the temptation is always there to revert back to those mindsets where we want we want that status. We want to we want to satisfy our egos with reaching the, the pinnacle of our sport. So for one, it, it's I, I'm just I, I'm very cognizant of being grateful for the experience on a daily basis. And I think that that's super important. I, another thing to get to get a little more nuanced here, something that um, is much different about my psychology now than it, than it was before is that I would say that during my training in my previous career, I would be very focused on, say, the, the metrics of my training, what sort of times I was able to hit in my training, what sort of marks was I able to hit 
in my training, say for the long jump or the shot put. And now, of course, those things are still important. And I keep very detailed notes about what happened in training and what my workouts were like. But when I see myself progressing now, I see myself progressing from a more qualitative standpoint. I, I can sort of imagine what it's like to be performing at the level that I know I need to be performing at next summer. And, and I'm constantly trying to move towards that feeling. It's it's fairly hard to describe, but it's like well something that I that I, I talk to some of the athletes that I coach about is like all right you set a goal and and for me as a decathlete my, my goal next summer is is eighty three hundred and you can have a goal in every single event of course but all right you have a goal of eighty three hundred and you know you, it's common like as a decathlete all right you want to score eighty three hundred what are the individual marks that you need to hit in each of the events in order to reach that score. Well, I, I might say, you know, you, you wanna score 8,300. What does it feel like from a, a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint to go out on the track and be able to score 8,300? What what sort of, when, when you imagine yourself doing this, scoring 8,300 points, you know, how, like, what does it feel like to run as that fast? What does it feel like to be that explosive and be able to jump that high? I feel like the more vividly we can imagine ourselves doing the things that we want to do, the easier it is for us to move into those realities. It's much more like visualization, but this is just a continual focus on precisely how you want to feel when you're going to be at your best. So I, I don't know if that made a lot of sense, but... <laughs> No, it definitely did. I mean, it's uh, it's something that I've read before and heard before as well. Like if you're about to attempt a, a new weight PB, for example, you should picture yourself going through the motion of going down in the right um, form and pressing up with the right bar movement, for example, and just picture yourself already having completed that movement and how that would then feel after it's It's definitely something I've heard before. So it's interesting. You obviously said it also could relate to, to athletics as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Like the more you can like vividly feel and really believe, like believe the feelings of doing something that you're about to do. I mean, whether it's like lifting a new weight or you're about to take an attempt in high jump, the more vividly we can feel ourselves doing it, the more likely it is to happen. And, and I just take it in a more global perspective in terms of my training. I mean, what is what is it like to go, you know, six weeks, eight weeks through a, a big training block and perform the amount of work that I need to perform in order to get better? No, definitely. And it's, it's, it is something that I think, again, one of the small things that potentially people aren't doing visualization, it's not something that comes front of mind when you think about how am I going to, how am I going to reach this goal? You think about your training, your nutrition, you think about your, your recovery, but you're not necessarily thinking about these little other elements, are you? Like we said at the start. Mm, yes, very true. Very true. It's like the, uh, you know, they say the mental aspect of sport is, it's a lot of percentages thrown out, but like 90% mental, 10% physical and like I, I'm not, I'm not sure that a lot of people really believe that or or can feel that reality. But it's it's things like this, uh, these these visualization examples that that really bring that to light. There's an incredible power in belief. There's there's an incredible power in truly believing that that not just something is going to happen, but you're going to make it happen. And I think it's next level. I, I really think it's next level stuff. I, I just in, in order to reach the highest, the highest tiers of any sport, or, or perhaps just to reach the highest tiers of one's own potential, these sorts of things, the mental aspect of sports, it really has to be harnessed. 
Definitely, it is such a it's such a strain really on. There's a lot of pressure, and so it's great to hear obviously that you are now in a, a position where you're back loving what you're doing. You're back having had some time out, really having understood where or what you can do to get yourself to that next level whilst not necessarily being consumed by it. So it's a really refreshing to hear that. And obviously as well, and like we said, it'd be really, I think it'd be very valuable, everything we talked about really, for any other athlete who's stuck in almost like a rut, like going through the motions and losing touch with why they started in the first place. Yes, in, indeed. I, I hope so too. Honestly, I think that that's, I mean, from my perspective, it's like if somebody is having a bad time in athletics, if somebody's listening to this and feels like they're in a rut, I, I hope that my story and my few words of advice could could just help them see the, the sort of um, intrinsic satisfaction that is available to them at all times. What we do in sports, it's the results that we get. They really are pretty fleeting. You know, if somebody wins an Olympic gold one year, there's there's a whole new season the next year, and it pretty much just starts over, and then somebody else is going to get it next time. It, it's the the things that are long lasting in athletics, the things that are the things we'll really remember about our athletic experiences is how we went about them and how we felt while we were doing them. You know, you take it from me, a guy who's been doing tracks for the last 20 years, the wins and losses, there's going to be plenty of both, but it's it's the way we go about our work. It's the sort of the way we are determined to make our own progress based on our own standards. That's that's what really matters. And that's that's what that's what we'll appreciate down the road. Definitely. Like you said, it is it's the journey and the process now. So that's uh, great to hear. Chris, if there is um, somewhere that we can send our listeners to keep up to date with how your preparation's going, where, where can they best uh, find you and even reach out to you if they wanted to ask any further questions? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you, you can find me on social media, Instagram and Facebook. It's Chris Helwick. My Instagram handle is what the Helwick, separated by periods. Facebook, I'm just Chris Helwick. Last name is H-E-L-W-I-C-K. Those, those are good places. I post pretty frequently there and people can certainly reach out to me and ask questions. But I've also got a website, chrishelwick.com, and you find more information about me there. I've got a, a pretty nice video that I put together about a year ago that just kind of recaps my story, talks about what I'm doing now, who I'm doing it with, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, you can find links to you know my podcast interviews like this through my website and some some other good information as well. That's great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. I think there's a, a lot of valuable information, not necessarily something that I've, I've not really had the pleasure of talking to someone who's uh, had this time to really think about themselves as an athlete, as a person, and then give it another shot. So we're wishing you the best of luck for 2020. And we're obviously avidly awaiting the result as well. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it. And it's, um, it's been great to talk with you as well today. Thank you very much. Great. So there you have it. That concludes today's episode with Chris Helwick, the born again athlete. I think loads of really interesting information there, not only to learn about what the training's like for a top level athlete, but also just to well, to learn to step back from what you're currently doing to evaluate whether it's something that you're you're happy with or whether you're stuck in a rut, you're not enjoying where you've the current thing which you identify with and I think that's very powerful Chris being able to do that step away from the thing that really made him who he was and pursue different avenues and learn other things experience different experiences and then come back to it as a more rounded person which will then help him hopefully improve his athletic ability and his performance when it comes to the 2020 Olympic trials so we wish him the best of luck and thank you once again Chris for coming on the show I hope everyone enjoyed if you did please make sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review we'll see you next time time.